Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, August 12th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Kamala Harris making history, Joe Biden choosing the California senator as his running mate as she becomes the first black woman and the first South Asian woman to run on a major party's national ticket. President Trump wasting no time slamming the presumptive vice presidential candidate, calling her behavior, quote, nasty. Meanwhile, the White House continuing to struggle with the coronavirus pandemic. Nearly 165,000 people in this country now dead from the pandemic as the school crisis grows from coast to coast. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. Presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden breaking barriers, selecting California Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. She was once his former rival and criticized him in the Democratic primaries. But now Harris emerging as a vocal supporter of Biden for president and another potential key to his victory. The daughter of Indian and Jamaican immigrants, Kamala Harris was born in California, a child of Oakland. The Howard University graduate became the first black woman to be elected district attorney in San Francisco. As a young district attorney, I walked into the courtroom for the first time and said the five words that would guide my life's work. Kamala Harris for the people. Harris was the first woman to serve as California's attorney general, becoming close friends with Joe Biden's late son, Beau, who held the same post in Delaware. I got to know Joe through Beau because you've never seen, it's a rare thing to see such a special relationship between a father and his son. The prosecutor turned a legislator gains attention for her pointed questions at Senate hearings. Attorney General Barr, has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Uh, yes or no? Could you, could you repeat that question? But she's also faced tough questions about her record. But when you had the power, why didn't you try to affect change then? Struggling to keep momentum after she launched her presidential bid in Oakland. Harris and Biden also faced off last year on the debate stage over school busing. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. But Biden insists he doesn't hold grudges and chose a former rival who's done battle on the campaign trail. Senator Harris has the capacity to be anything she wants to be. I'm, I'm, I mean it sincerely. She's solid. She is. Uh, she, she can be president someday herself. Most recently, she's faced questions about where she stands on issues like police reform. In her 2009 book, Smart on Crime, she wrote that if we take a show of hands of those who would like to see more police officers on the street, mine would shoot up, adding that virtually all law-abiding citizens feel safer when they see officers walking a beat. But earlier this summer, in the wake of the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, she told the New York Times that it is status quo thinking to believe that putting more police on the streets creates more safety. That's wrong. It's just wrong. For now, it'll be interesting to see what lies ahead as Election Day gets closer. Biden telling supporters on Tuesday 
There is no one's opinion I valued more than Bo's, and I'm proud to have Kamala standing with me on this campaign. The 55-year-old Democrat is one of only three women to appear in the VP slot for a major party ticket following Democrat Geraldine Ferraro in 1984 and Republican Sarah Palin in 2008. Meanwhile, President Trump trailing behind in the polls, wasting no time in launching his attack against Kamala Harris. Edwin Piti has the latest from Washington, D.C. Edwin. That's right, Andrea. Yesterday, President Trump was asking the White House what he thought of the selection of Kamala Harris as Joe Biden's running mate. And even though he had a hard time trying to select the words to attack her at the moment, he ended up calling her behavior nasty and horrible, according to the president, for the way she treated Biden back in the debate in the Democratic primaries. Let's listen to what the president said. One of the reasons that surprised me, she was very, she was probably nastier than even Pocahontas to Joe Biden. She was very disrespectful to Joe Biden. And it's hard to pick somebody that's that disrespectful when she said things during the debates, during the Democrat primary debates that were horrible about Sleepy Joe. And uh, I would think that he wouldn't have picked. Okay. Now we could say that this is just the beginning of a short but a deep road for the elections in November. This morning, President Trump going to Twitter to attack again Harris, saying the following, Kamala Harris started strong in the Democratic primaries and finished weak, ultimately fleeing the race with almost zero support. That's the kind of opponent everyone dreams of. Now, we know that from the list the Vice President Biden had for the people that he could select as a running mate, we know that Harris is the one the Republicans will have the most difficulties trying to attack. But they already started doing that, going for her record, as a district attorney in California, but Biden defending her, calling her a fearless leader, saying she is the right person that will be able to help him solve many of the issues that this nation is facing right now. To give you a couple of examples, the worst pandemic in the last 100 years, the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, and also to deal with some of the racial issues that the U.S. is facing right now. But Republicans do not believe they are the right couple to solve those issues. Just yesterday, uh, Vice President Mike Pence was in Arizona talking to police officers, and even, and even though he congratulated her, he went right after her. Let's listen. Joe Biden and the Democratic Party have been overtaken by the radical left, so given their promises of higher taxes, open borders, socialized medicine, and abortion on demand, it's, it's no surprise that he chose Senator Harris to be his running mate. Now, as the White House, especially President Donald Trump, I have to say, and Republicans keep going after Harris, the Democrats are criticizing President Trump because not only him, but also his daughter and advisor Ivanka Trump donated to Harris' campaign back in California. But the president's re-election campaign responding that the fact that President Trump supported and donated money to a black woman politician campaign should put to an end all the arguments that Donald Trump is a racist. Live in Washington, D.C., Andrea, back to you. Thanks so much, Edwin, for that report and getting those reactions for us. So now let's analyze these upcoming elections. Joining me now is Steven Nuno Perez, political science professor at Northern Arizona University. Thanks so much for joining us today on U News, Professor. Welcome. Hi, Andrea. A headline in the Washington Post today said that by picking Harris, Joe Biden is making history and playing it safe at the same time. Your thoughts on that description? Well, he's certainly making history. I mean, we have a, a woman uh, on the ticket. We have a, a woman of color uh, on the ticket. 
Um, so that's certainly groundbreaking for uh, for for the Democratic Party. Um, the stability that she brings is, you know, she's um, she's a party member and a leader of the largest uh, Democratic state in the union. Um, she's well embedded into the Democratic Party. And so she does. She brings uh, she brings vision for the Democrats, but she also brings stability as well, which is a big um, a big key point for Democrats who are looking to get past uh, uh, this administration. What else would you say does Biden get by selecting her as his running mate? Well, I think she's she's symbolic of how the Democrats have uh, been really the only party of the two that have you know tried and struggled to integrate. Uh, different experiences and stories uh, into the party. Um, you know, this is a process that began, you know, 50 years ago in the 70s, um, and you know, we see it obviously with uh, with President Obama in 2008. Um, but you know, the party has uh, has tried and, and struggled uh, to integrate uh, more women, uh, more people of color into the party, um, and to finally have a, a person uh, selected uh, by a presidential candidate. Uh, and and many people were concerned that this experience was not going to be integrated in the party. Um, so, you know, it's very symbolic. It, it means a lot uh, to the to the current state of the Democratic Party, but also to the future of the Democratic Party. The New York Times reported that opinion research conducted recently by the Biden campaign showed that she was not, quote, especially compelling to black voters. So how likely is Harris to help turn out in the black community, which is so important? Well, I don't think the black community needs any any inspiration to vote uh, against a president that has been tweeting um, about basically black people moving into white neighborhoods. Um, you know, Donald Trump is running a 1960s, 1970s style um, campaign uh, in a country that demographics have changed radically uh, in the last 40 years. And so he's making a, a direct appeal uh, to racism. And um, we don't see any uh, lack of motivation on the part of, uh, of people of color and in particular the black community um, uh, to, uh, to, to not mobilize uh, this November to, to toss that out of the White House. Let's talk about another important sector. What has been the reaction to Harris's pick in the Latino community? Can she appeal to the Latino vote? Absolutely. I think, you know, our polling shows that um, you know, almost 60 percent of Latinos are excited by uh, a Kamala Harris uh, vice presidential um, pick. And, you know, I think it's important that she has an immigrant story. And, and that immigrant story can be used to connect with Latinos who, uh, you know, a great number of Latinos, almost half of Latinos are connected uh, to the immigrant story. And so she can relate to uh, to a group that has to deal with these issues on a day-by-day -day basis. Um, she's also run on these uh, pro-immigrant uh, issues, you know, since she was, you know, in 2010 uh, and 2014. You know, th these are issues that she's very familiar with, very comfortable with. And, of course, California, uh, you know, Latinos are the majority uh, group in, in California. This is a, a group that she's had to connect with in the past. Um, she's very comfortable uh, speaking and representing this group. Um, and our polling shows that the more Latinos are exposed to her, the more they like her. Well, thank you so much for your analysis, political science professor Stephen Nuno Perez at Northern Arizona University. Take care and have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
In other election news, Democratic Representative Ilan Omar won her primary challenge in Minnesota. The Progressive Squad member defeated well-funded challenger Anton Melton Mukes, an attorney who runs a mediation practice. During her short time in Congress, Omar has attracted a devoted following for her progressive priorities, but has also faced criticism from Republicans, including President Trump. And Kansas could see its first transgender lawmaker in November. Stephanie Byers is seeking a state House seat. She won her district's Democratic primary earlier this month after running unopposed. In November, she will go up against Republican businesswoman Cindy Howerton. The district, which covers much of Wichita, has traditionally leaned liberal. Byers is a retired public school teacher of nearly three decades. She says she was able to make her transgender transition with the full blessing of the school board, superintendents, and her school's principal. She says she felt the urge to run for political office when she retired last year. The Trump administration striking a major deal with vaccine developer Moderna. This as the country starts to see cases slowly decrease. But in the meantime, the education system is in chaos. Lorraine Gassides has more on the pandemic right here in the U.S. The U.S. slowly seeing daily cases of coronavirus decrease, reporting less than 50,000 cases daily, down from 65,000 per day in mid to late July. But the country's daily average of deaths still hovering over 1,000 for the last two weeks. The Trump administration signing a billion and a half dollar deal with Moderna Inc., one of the companies already producing a vaccine, but there's no proof yet it works. Phase three trials are underway. We're on track to rapidly produce 100 million doses as soon as the vaccine is approved and up to 500 million shortly thereafter. The deal is part of Operation Warp Speed, and if testing goes well, experts say a vaccine will possibly be available to the public early next year. And as health officials continue to urge people to avoid crowds, video out of New York City showing dozens of people storming an MTA bus in Queens, throwing a pop-up party with no one wearing masks. The NYPD now reviewing the footage as part of an investigation into the incident. Meanwhile, the education system across most of the country is in crisis. In Cherokee County, Georgia, more than 1,000 students and 32 staff members are needing to quarantine at home after starting in-person classes just a week ago. An hour away in Paulding County, since July 1st, schools have recorded 53 positive cases. A solution still not clear as opinions on the issue are strongly divided. What if worse comes to worse? Will board members commit to contributing to the GoFundMe campaign of a couple facing medical bills after their son or daughter contracts COVID-19? Everyone has the right to make their own decisions and have opinions, but we shouldn't be forced to go online because others are fearful. In hard-hit Florida, where cases on average are going down, Tuesday's report recorded 277 deaths, the highest since the pandemic began. In children, cases there increased by 137 percent. Hospitalizations grew by 105 percent and deaths went from four to seven children. Despite the numbers, the governor there still pushing for in-person classes and also college sports. This is um, uh, probably the safest environment these student athletes can be in, uh, not just for coronavirus, but for a whole host of, uh, of other reasons. 
And after days of declining cases in Florida today, the state reported more than 8,000 cases, half of those in Miami-Dade County, which is the state's epicenter. These numbers signaling that it is yet too early to determine if the state is being successful at flattening that curve. Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, a story that we continue to follow. And now to California, where a major new ruling is giving a boost to drivers who work for rideshare services like Uber and Lyft. Jaime Garcia has more on what the impacts this could have on thousands of workers in that state and beyond. The California Superior Judge ordered Uber and Lyft to classify their California drivers as employees rather than independent contractors, as is in the case of Luz Laguna. We are finally going to get our benefits, medical insurance, and also eight hours of work daily. The California Attorney General, along with the city attorneys of Los Angeles, San Francisco, and San Diego, filed a lawsuit against Lyft and Uber for violating the AB5 state law that came into effect this year and prohibits to classify as gig workers, those who do a continued job with the same employer. This way they are denied minimum wage as well as job protection in the event of an injury. They don't have any support or protection. That is an injustice for those workers. In a statement from Uber said, when over 3 million Californians are without a job, our elected leaders should be focused on creating work, not trying to shut down an entire industry during an economic depression. On the other hand, Lyft insists that the drivers do not want to be employees, full stop. But those who work behind the wheel, with wages as low as 70 cents per mile, disagree. They are increasing their salaries at our expense when they pay as much less. Meanwhile, users of these applications believe that the judge order will have an impact on their wallet. It will be more expensive to use those services, but it is necessary. I believe that will be good that they receive those benefits and be hired as full-time employees. In a written statement, the company Uber and Lyft announced that they will appeal the order that is scheduled to go into effect in the next 10 days. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, U News. And I would like to add something to that. Uber CEO was responding to this injunction, saying that the service will, quote, probably shut down in California if it is, in fact, forced to classify workers as employees. A small community in Indiana is making headlines for all the wrong reasons. A KKK flag found hanging over a Mexican restaurant has angered many residents in the town of Bremen. But as Grecia Lastra reports, the owner of that business says she initially didn't know the racist meaning of this flag. Pamela Flores was born in Texas but has lived most of her life in Mexico. She says that with a lot of effort and in the middle of the pandemic, she opened this Mexican restaurant in a small Indiana town. She suddenly noticed that people were passing by and taking pictures. She navally thought that they were taking pictures of the restaurant, but then she realized that they were focusing on this Ku Klux Klan flag. It all started when we received some photos and videos about the restaurant. We didn't really know the meaning of the flag or what was going on. Until the community told us. When they explained to her that the flag is a symbol of hate from an organization that promotes white supremacy, she couldn't believe it. It made us sad because it was very unfair. We just opened the restaurant. It was very sad. We wondered what was going on and why it was happening to us. 
She says that since she has lived in the United States, she's never felt discrimination like this before. There are people who judge us as Mexicans for coming here, or for our race, for the color of our skin, or whatever they judge us for. Well, I feel that we as Mexicans always look forward to any work. Pamela says that the community, which is mostly white, came to the restaurant to support them, and together they have helped her take down the flag. Apparently it was hung from the empty apartment right above the restaurant. The police are now investigating. I try to be strong and keep on pushing with the blessing of God, because probably this is not going to be the only time this might happen. Reported by Vilma Tarazona, this is Grecia Lastra for U News. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, and the former president, Felipe Calderón, are engaged in a war of words. Both accuse each other of involvement in corruption and drug trafficking that at times has plunged the country into complete chaos. Malena Marchán has more. On Tuesday, the president of Mexico once again attacked former President Felipe Calderón and his administration. And just like Garcia Luna, the whole government was involved. That is why it was called a narco state. The narco was in charge. Andrés Manuel López Obrador reiterated the most powerful accusation he has made against former President Calderón, who was in charge of the country from 2006 to 2012. His attacks are in reply to Calderón's criticism. In a radio interview with journalist Joaquin López Doriga, Calderón said that today the control organized crime exerts over wide areas of Mexico is unprecedented. I am not the president who goes around greeting the mother of the couples or releasing his children with an arrest warrant against them. What did the events of October in Culiacán show us? With the release of Ovidio, is the federal government in charge or does an organized crime group rule? But how am I not going to greet an old lady that Guzman Loera's son was released? Well, yes, I do take responsibility, but let him tell us what he knows about Gennaro Garcia Luna. Calderón hasn't stopped his criticism of the current government even as his former right hand in the fight against organized crime. Former Secretary of Public Security Gennaro Garcia Luna is facing trial in the United States for alleged links to organized crime. In general, it is a process of state capture. It's impunity, a let them do and let them pass, ordered by the president himself, who says I will not wage war against them. The number of homicides in Mexico have not stopped growing, not even during the pandemic. In the first half of 2020, Mexico registered almost 18,000 murders, a new record. It is going to take 10 to 15 years to eradicate it if the current government really confronts the problem. The president wanted the position. Let's push him to comply. Reported by Jessica Zermeño, this is Gianni Ponte for U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.